Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of the Real Dads podcast, a real podcast about real movies by fake dads. I'm joined here. He just finished submitting his positive Zack Snyder review. Roger Brandsetter, what's up, bud? You know, it's amazing. You you post one positive review and the, the day just goes better. Everyone gives you positive reviews at work. It's phenomenal. It's just a chain reaction of positive reviews. One, one begets another. That's what I've heard. Well, speaking of positive reactions, actually, we're going to use this opportunity to chat with each other about the Oscar nominations, which dropped out uh, this morning, uh, March 15th. And I have to say, overall, my initial reactions to seeing the list and seeing who was nominated is not upset i'm really okay yeah, with all like the nominations the best we can i feel like that's the best we can hope for is like not super upset <laughs> but like there, there is room for improvement but overall i'm pretty pretty happy with the list that came out i would say especially based on the movies that i've seen it's not so much that certain nominations aren't deserved it's more of a situation of oh if the field were expanded like if there were five nominations for best actor for example or if there were seven instead of five then i I think they would have been able to fill more holes but overall i'm just kind of pleased uh only a couple snubs that i can think of that get me fired up but we'll end up getting to that um as far as the history to be made this past uh, nomination cycle, uh, Chloe Zhao kind of continues her uh, current reign as the front runner for best director. Uh, her nomination for best director at the Academy Awards makes her the first woman of color to be nominated. And this is also the first time two women have been nominated for best director. Uh, the second being Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman this year, which I have yet to see, but I know. I enjoyed Nomadland quite thoroughly. Yeah, I'm a little less so on Nomadland, but I mean, it's not like it was a bad movie and it certainly deserves recognition for best direction. Yeah, I would say the direction is part of the the highlight and the appeal of that movie is just how it, it looks and how it feels, the flow of it. Um, continuing on, we have a little bit more history being made with some Best Actor nominations. Uh, Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim man to be nominated for Best Actor. Those of us who got in early on the Riz Ahmed uh, hype train from the night of are very glad to see this happen. Stocks at an all-time high. (laughs) All-time high. Not selling yet, though. Going to hold on to that stock because I I think he definitely has some more, more peaks to hit. Um, it's uh, pronounced stonk, by the way. <laughs> Stonks. The high stonk of Riz Ahmed. Uh, only going to go higher if he wins. So not selling yet. Uh, that makes uh, history as the four leading roles from uh, the movie Venom have all been nominated for Academy Awards. And I'm talking about Tom. <laughs> uh, Roger shaking his head at me. I'm talking about... Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, Riz Ahmed, and I'm blanking on the fourth one now. This is great live content as I scramble Grace. to Google this. 
No, not Topher Grace. He played the, the way too cool Eddie Brock from Spider-Man 3. Um, At least he got to date Donna. Michelle Williams. That, I should <laughs> I should remember that stat. But cannot forget, uh, Stephen Yun is also the first Asian American to be nominated for Best Actor. I see some some pubs or at least some people on Twitter kind of jump in the gun and of like, Oh, Stephen Young isn't the first Asian to be nominated. And it's like Asian American is the distinction here. Cause Ben Kingsley, Ben Kingsley is half Indian and half colonial Britain. So he was nominated obviously for Gandhi. Uh, Chadwick Boseman posthumously nominated for best actor. I haven't seen sound of metal, which is what Riz Ahmed is nominated for and Stephen Young is nominated for Minari but I kind of think Chadwick just locks this up and it's not a matter of like yeah it's definitely a uh, pretty stacked oh sorry you go on I'm cutting you off (laughs) oh sorry must have been a, a freeze there for a second it's not I don't think it's a matter of oh Chadwick passed away so we are going to give this award kind of out of pity it's more so that Chadwick had two performances, I at least think, that could have been nominated this year. He got nominated for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and just blew everyone off the screen. So I think that it's just going to end up being a well-deserved Oscar uh, win for him unless they, gosh, unless they like do something really weird and give it to Anthony Hopkins for The Father. I, that might be yeah, cringe. I'm not going to trust the Academy to get this right uh, right now, <laughs> but uh, of the five who are nominated, I don't know. I like I really liked Gary Oldman's performance in Mank, but I'm not sure that it's doing something that he didn't do in Downfall, or not Downfall. No, that's the wrong movie entirely. Darkest Hour, uh, and mm-hmm. I mean it's hard to knock Anthony Hopkins, but I don't know. I Chadwick's probably. Odds are not going to have another chance to get a Best Actor trophy and his body of work, not just Ma Rainey's and not just the Five Bloods, but like, I don't know, everything that he's done up to this point has been Oscar worthy fair and i think he more than deserves it and i think it'd be a very fitting tribute yeah by all accounts uh the 31 or so people who have seen the father like anthony hopkins still pretty much knocks it out of the park (laughs) um (laughs) gary oldman is is good in mank like he's not bad but that, that was one of the notes that i had on the outline is that like gary oldman has won a best actor award like he's good uh, Anthony Hopkins, he's also won a Best Actor award. I don't think these guys need any more laudits for us to know that they are like our, some of our top performers that we can see in movies. And um, my concern with the like diversity and all that, they've the Academy's done a lot over the past year or so to kind of expand its field of uh, voters and to make sure that the voting body is a little bit more diversified but all that would kind of just go out the window if they end up you know just giving it to anthony hopkins again or giving it to olivia coleman in the best actress category or like even glenn close who hasn't won an academy award yet but like hillbilly elegy has been nominated twice uh it's glenn close and then the second nomination is for hair and makeup so i'm like what are we actually doing here with that? 
Yeah, not to knock Glenn Close or Hillbilly LG at all, but I don't know. I saw a woman and I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And wait, what? I said, I'll knock Hillbilly LG. Not Glenn Close, but <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know. And even Nomad Land, like those were all fantastic performances. And like, I don't want to not consider someone, but also like, I don't know. I, <laughs> Viola Davis in Ma Rainey is just like, an entire, I don't know, is like one of the most powerful performances I've seen in a while. And like, you could feel the fear that she instilled in other actors. And I'm not sure that I've seen that from an actress in a film recently. Like, that's just incredible. I mean, Carrie Mulligan, a promising young woman. I, we're loudly agreeing with each other that like, they're, <laughs> they have set this trap for themselves where they can mess this up. And I really am hoping that they don't because contrary to some, uh, podcasters opinions uh 2020 was low-key like a really really good year for movies yeah i think it was a fantastic uh, year for movies and to your point i want viola davis to be recognized for doing the whole like actor transformation thing playing a historical figure that i don't think oftentimes with the exception of like denzel washington and even he didn't get as like acknowledged or recognized as he should have for doing the whole, like I'm going to transform my body and really embody the person that I am imitating on screen. And I mean, I've seen stills of hillbilly elegy and Glenn close today because she was nominated. And it's like, cool. Glenn close also did like the whole, I'm going to look completely different and you're not going to be able to recognize me on screen, but you'll kind of know it's me type of thing and if she gets recognized over like a viola davis who has transformed herself was singing was just chewing all the scenery in the room then that's still still raising a flag with me for for this academy selection yeah i mean given some of the people who were not nominated but probably deserving i yeah completely agree yeah but we don't know if that's going to happen yet. So we might just be like prematurely talking ourselves into like fits of anger because overall we can't really be all that mad at the nominations so far. They've, they look pretty good to me. Best picture nominations. So this is the the big one we've been kind of circling around for the past couple of months. At least we we've been going through lists of what ones could be potentially nominated for best picture and seeking them out when they're available and how to get uh, a hold of those. So far, I have seen not as many as I thought I would have seen by this point. I've seen a lot of, uh, I guess, more so performance-based movies because I've seen a lot of the movies that have um, like the best actors and actresses in those categories, but they are as follows. The Father, which 31 people have seen so far by my count. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Nomad Land, Promising Young Woman, Minari, Mank, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago Seven. So that's eight movies in the field, uh, which is yeah, kind of... Yeah, they have been averaging eight since the expansion. Yeah, I, I would have put a little bit of money on seven just because of uh, the wonkiness and the weirdness of this year, but... Eight sounds about right. I could see a case for nine as well. Um, I have two 
snubs jotted down? Do you have any uh, outside of those two that I wrote? Um, I didn't check the two that you wrote. Is one Ma Rainey? Uh, one is not Ma Rainey. No, I did not put that one on there, oh, but it I should be on one. there. Um, just based on, so I have a spreadsheet for everyone who doesn't know. I'm an accountant by trade, and so I adore a spreadsheet. And it, I wouldn't say it has predictive value just because I put the stuff in, but if I'm looking at all awards that have been nominated that aren't Best Picture, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has the same number of nominations as The Father, Sound of Metal, Minari, and Nomadland. It has fewer than Mank, which has the most, but that's it's tied for second with everything else. And it has more nominations that aren't Best Picture than Trial of the Chicago 7, Judas and Black Messiah, and Promising Young Woman. All movies I really like, but uh, I would kind of expect it to have snagged a Best Picture nomination given it has a best actress, a best actor, uh, production design, costume, makeup and hair. Like it's just one of those movies where I would expect like, okay, so you like the acting given that between Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis, the two actors who were nominated were in every scene of the movie and you liked how they looked and you liked the set. So what are we, what, what more can we do here? So to me, that is a snub. Yeah. That, movie was directed uh, by George C. Wolfe, and I hadn't heard much about him in terms of like the best director award in, in any circumstance, whether that's the Golden Globes, the PGAs, the Critics' Choice, just has not been on the radar. I don't know if that's a lack of campaigning or I'm wondering what sort of impact the whole like Netflix machine might have here in terms of campaigning for their stars and their hit movies because The Five Bloods, which is one of my snubs, was not nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Spike Lee was yet again overlooked as a Best Director. My guy, Delroy Lindo, was overlooked for Best Supporting Actor, which was... Probably the to me the most egregious snub of the day. I just that performance was wildly great. It was just it was insane and really good. And I think he should receive much more critical praise just overall as an actor than he has been getting. Uh, hopefully, this sort of lack of recognition kind of flips into um, people paying a little bit more attention to his work down the line. Um, and I'm just wondering because like pe people's people have differing opinions on this, but they had the Irishman last year, Netflix did. And that one was like everywhere. Um, Scorsese had a huge budget. He had a ton of like Netflix backing to get like De Niro and Pesci and Scorsese. And the movie was nominated for best picture but i don't think it was like even considered like as a top five like if it had a chance of winning best picture last year it was a complete outside shot um the, the five bloods had a much much more scaled down budget for the film and i just it came out last summer and around the same time as trial of the chicago seven but for whatever reason you're just not hearing any sort of advertisement on the five bloods or any like campaigning out of Netflix's corner. 
Yeah, I've got to wonder if they have a set budget that they use for marketing these or for the politicking that goes on behind. But I mean, they clearly were pushing Mank and they clearly were pushing Trial of the Chicago 7. And I don't know if it's like just the ingrained, like just racism in America, that it's easier to push a David Fincher and a Aaron Sorkin than it is to push a Spike Lee. But like, I, I don't know. I do think that that was very deserving. And Delroy Lindo, not getting nominated as bonkers just about dropped an f-bomb and then this is a friend family friendly pod so i didn't want to but it's nuts and and not being nominated for screenplay either is also insane to me like that was a great script and the lines were all good and it felt real i don't know i completely agree that that uh, i almost feel like they should expand this just to like 20 films just to like say hey these are all best picture worthy films and maybe like give out four trophies because at some point, like, I don't know, there's a lot of people in the country and there's a lot of films that come out and there's probably something that comes out every year that hits someone's sweet spot to a T and to just give one award out and say, this is the thing this year is, I don't know. in a pluralistic society feels a little dated just given that like, I don't know, green book one and like, no one really loves that movie, but it was like this consensus choice of weird people who thought that that was second best. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a pro David Fincher, pro Aaron Sorkin podcast. Like, I, I don't think they're undeserving of the critical attention that they get uh, just because they are white males. They're still very good storytellers. Uh, Aaron Sorkin more so on pen than being the guy directing the movie, I would say. But if I had to, if I had to make some alterations, if this is Jordan's Academy Awards, I would say my best picture nominations would probably pop out Trial of the Chicago Seven, and I would insert either Defy Bloods or One Night in Miami, which was my other snub for best picture that I didn't get to. I, I think, yeah, I, I would, I would switch that out. One Night in Miami is another one that kind of got blanked other than like the best supporting actor nom for Leslie Odom Jr., which I think people saw like, oh, there's Aaron Burr and he's singing in this movie. I want to nominate him. Oh, Aaron Burr, sir. Sir. (laughs) Yeah, it got screenplay too, which is fair. I, Regina King got everything out of all of those actors. And like, I don't know, that one particularly to me, to me seemed like it had like a shoestring budget given that like the vast majority of the film was shot at like a hotel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that was great. And I thought it was every single, all of the four actors had their arguments that they got to articulate and they all were commentary on race and culture in America at that point. And they're still resonant today and like being four massive figures I don't know. It, it to me, it seems like the biopic energy that like something like a Mank or like anything about Churchill ever gets like should have probably have propelled something with Cassius Clay and Malcolm X and Jim Brown like to the top. But whatever, weird yeah. year, I guess. Regina King was everywhere else too in terms of like best director nominations. I think. She and Aaron Sorkin in this round of nominations for this particular award show got bumped for uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who directed Minari, and 
a movie I haven't seen yet, uh, Another Round, uh, directed by Thomas Vinterberg and starring Mads Mikkelsen. It's it's in Danish. It's up for Best International Film, which, I mean, it, it could be a matter of, like, Another Round has been on Hulu for, like, a week or two I don't know when voting closed, but it might have been like a recency thing of like, yeah, let's, I like that. Let's put this in. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but hey, Bong Joon-ho and Parasite just won Best Picture last year. And as he said in his acceptance speech, there are a lot of great movies in the world if we aren't afraid to read the subtitles at the bottom four inches of our television. So I think checking out a Danish film is not not going to be a thing that I'm going to steer away from. I got to check that out. Yeah, for sure. And also like being on Hulu and many of these being on streaming, but that one being on Hulu it is nice that it is included with the price of admission. Exactly. And best supporting actor, I think we wanted to talk about this because you had some you had a thought on this or a question in terms of this nomination. Oh yeah. So for Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, who we discussed at length on previous pod, were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And I guess my question is, why are you guys trying to split the vote? Like, you, you submitted your two actors for supporting, and further, like, if there are two supporting actors and no lead, like, I don't know, one of them is the lead actor, or both of them are the lead actor, who are they supporting? I just don't get it. Yeah, my... My only take on it is that they genuinely thought that if one of them ran in lead actor and my initial thought after watching the movie was that um, Daniel Kaluuya would win an award of some kind, whether that's in acting or leading or supporting. Um, But I think what it came down to is that you look at the five actors who are nominated and one of them might have just gotten buried. Because um, where you're talking about, you know, the late Chadwick Boseman, uh, Riz, and Stephen Young, who we just talked about, you know, the kind of Oscar nomination kings in Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman. But with supporting actor, you have the aforementioned Leslie Odom Jr. You have, I'm trying to find the list right now. Um, you have Sasha Barrett Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, Sound of Metal, which I've heard good things about Paul Racy and Sound of Metal. Again, I haven't seen that, but everybody who I've seen like on Twitter and whatnot or had a review of Sound of Metal, they specifically point out Paul Racy is really great in it too. So maybe they're not necessarily thinking of splitting the vote, but more so of like, hey, let's try to double our chances. Let's double down on supporting role and see if we can eke out a statue for that. Yeah, sure. No, I get it. Like, And they both were excellent. They both deserve nominations and risking one of them not making it by nominating one for best actor and one for supporting might leave someone out in the cold. I just think like, I don't know, a best actor nomination is a career changing thing. And I think Lakeith Stanfield probably would have gotten that. And for him to get a best actor nomination would change the trajectory of his career, not that it is altered by him not being in best actor versus supporting, but I don't know. That performance was great. He deserves everything. Like all these actors are awesome. It's just weird to see two guys from the same movie who are both like 
the co-leads, both as supporting actors to me. Hey, it's it's an honor just to be nominated with these fantastic individuals in my category. That is going to be one of the first yeah. lines in the speech. So, uh, any more on snubs or anything else you see? I have only got one more particular snub. I already talked about Delroy Lindo. Uh, nominate him, you cowards. Uh, Regina King is a bit of a snub for director, but I can see where they fit everybody else in that category. I would have liked to have seen Zendaya uh, get nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Malcolm and Marie. Uh, That movie wasn't the best. It certainly was not acknowledged in any other form uh, in the Academy, but I think that, I don't know, she could have eked in uh, where, like, it's the same thing with Best Actor. Like, Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman are kind of acting veterans at this point, and they have a ton of career accolades. Like, do they need another one? Is is basically my thing. And, and Zendaya is a a young star, and if you want people to tune into your award show, I think it's important to have like your youngest superstars when they deserve it. And instead of giving her a nomination or a Academy Award when it's a year or a performance too late. We've seen that happen a million times. Literally a million times. Yeah, this is the uh, one millionth I Academy Awards. It's wild. This has been going on forever. Uh, I had one other, I w- not a snub. It's more of a surprise. A pleasant surprise was I really enjoyed and was not necessarily expecting Promising Young Woman to make the cut for Best Picture. So I'm very pleased to see that. I thought that script was stellar and is visually stunning. And I thought the casting was really clever and Carrie Mulligan was awesome. So very happy to see that there. We are still waiting on Bo Burnham to get a nomination uh, as stands for Bo Burnham, but uh, this probably was not the year for that given our previous gripes about supporting actor. I mean, Bo Burnham should have been nominated as best director for eighth grade. I'll stand by that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what a, what a comp for the promising young woman nomination would be. Cause it's a little bit more of a, I think if it had opened in theaters, it would have been more blockbustery. So I think if we're looking just in the, in last year's nominations, maybe it would have been the, like the Jojo rabbit of of the nomination process like something that's has comedic elements but is also about a very serious subject or has very serious subject matter i haven't seen it yet you like so. i think i heard the end of it uh comp oh comp for promising young woman um yeah jojo rabbit's pretty good i would almost even say wolf of wall street although it's less that and it definitely has more of a message to my I mind than something like Wolf of Wall Street. Um, well, let's take a peek. Best picture mm-hmm. is like just a really well written and visually stunning film. So something like that. Maybe like the favorite. I'm going back to 2019 now, and it's, it's making me a little upset because there's like it's a really good field and one of and the worst movie probably won which is really tough 
Um, yeah, it's it's good to see that a movie like that is nominated. Because I think the Academy often has like a, I don't know, a stuffiness problem where you are looking at movies that are, I don't know, movies that you probably just wouldn't check out again. Okay. And I, I factor Great into Budapest is my pick for stuffy movies that the Academy likes. No, for a uh, comp. No, for a comp for um, promising young woman, where it's just really interesting looking and lightly humorous, but injected with plot, and also like promising young woman is not necessarily humorous, but it definitely has humorous elements. <laughs> ah, okay. Really dark subject matter interspersed by things that make you chuckle, despite how dark it gets. Yeah, for sure. Um, that seems fair. And we will definitely have to pot about that yet, which kind of like that literally just brings me to the next point I want to talk about. And that's how much the pandemic played a part in not only like the releases of these movies, because it obviously played a strong role there, but the nomination process, Um, because these nominations, like the movies that were nominated for whatever category are spread out like a fairly large amount of time over the past year. Uh, we usually have like a, an Oscar window where maybe you get like a once upon a time in Hollywood drop in the summer. And then you kind of get like a condensed, like November through January, like push where all these really good Oscar Beatty movies are dropped, but we kind of had a slow trickle of Oscar movies is kind of whenever people found like an available weekend that wasn't competing on a different streaming service or on the same streaming service with another movie that had the same sort of potential. Um, and like we talked about before, Netflix is a big player in this and they've, they crushed it this year with 35 nominations um, for movies that were released on their platform. Uh, how much do you think, the pandemic played a role in, in these nominations. Well, gee, I think it played the biggest role. I mean, I don't, I'm looking at just best picture nominations right now. And of the eight, I believe three are things that are, you have to go outside of the streaming services to pick up those three being Minari, the father and promising young woman. Otherwise the other ones are on HBO, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, and I don't know. I that's I think a huge part. Everything, not everything, but many things this year were accessible by streaming, and they're being rewarded for it. Netflix kind of. I don't want to say they lucked into the pandemic because I don't want to confer that any sort of lucky stuff happened because half a million people died. But like having a business that's set up to provide a high quality streaming movie like a Mank or like a Trial of the Chicago 7 or Ma Rainey or a Five Bloods during this time when people are encouraged to not leave their house means you're probably going to do better uh, come award time. So I think it played an enormous role. Yeah, it definitely played a significant role. Um, the only downside I would say is that I think uh, in terms of movies that are just 
released in theaters or at least get a, an entire weekend kind of to themselves to either gain steam or lose momentum. We lost that this year. Um, I think the the discourse and like the water cooler aspect of uh, going out to see a good movie and talking about it for like a week or two or whoever you have interactions with that might have uh, seen that movie online or something like that. I, I think we lost a step in that and that might have impacted some people's ability to kind of get things rolling. Um, like I think if the five bloods or trial of the Chicago seven, even if they were released on a streaming service closer to the end of the voting process, I think they would have been a little bit better off than getting released like last year in the summer when people had a chance to see them and they either saw them and it kind of got beat down by recency bias of other performances, other movies, or you might be like me who has seen sound of metal on Amazon prime and had it recommended to me via the streaming service for weeks now, but I'm like not checking it out because it's free. At least if you pay for the service, it's free. And I'm like, I'll get to it at some point. I just haven't, it's there for me to see though. It's not like you have this period of time where you have to check out this movie before it goes out of theaters. It's definitely been, available and other movies have been available and I just haven't gotten to them. Yeah. I would say, I don't know. I think the, if I'm looking at this list, the one that sticks out to me most is maybe the one we haven't talked about at all is Tenet got two nominations in a year where if it had come out in 2019 or perhaps this summer as the first movie back when we all go outside again, uh, might be like the biggest movie in the world. And instead I don't think anyone saw it. I think like a lot of people saw it. I think both you and I saw it, but it didn't get the month in summer where everyone's tweeting about backwards time that it otherwise might have, where it could have latched onto the zeitgeist. And like part of that is its release strategy. And if I'm not sure if it had come out on streaming, if it would have done better or if just more people would have disliked it, or if more people would have seen it and just the zeitgeisty thing would have happened. But I, I I don't know. I don't necessarily totally agree that availability is the issue here with some of these movies, specifically citing Tenet as the evidence for that. Yeah, Tenet could have been like the Bohemian Rhapsody of this year and that it was, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody made like, what, a billion dollars or something like that. And it was just widely popular in theaters and that's kind of what catapulted it into getting a nomination and that plus the performance of Remy Malik, who I don't know love Remy Malik. not sure he should have won best actor that's for a different time but I think Tenet could have ridden that wave of like people if, it, if people thought it was good from seeing it in theaters it could have rode that wave of like well people liked this this was a very popular movie let's nominate it for best picture rather than I don't think a lot of these movies, I think Judas and the black Messiah would have been or promising young woman. I think those two, if all these best picture nominations were released in theaters would have been the biggest box office draws. But I think Tenet would have beat both of those and all in the rest of the nominations. 
Yeah, probably. Oh, are you ready for a hot take? I think the comp for tenant in a non-pandemic year. This is the hottest take. I think the comp is Mad Max Fury Road, a movie oh, that no. I don't love, but which is visually stunning. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm kind of. It's not a hot take for me because I'm right there with you. I, I don't think Mad Max Fury Road is as good as people say it is. I think it is kind of overrated. It's a good movie, but it's overrated at this point. Like little snippets of good acting and then uh, an interesting direction, uh, interesting thing, uh, gimmick, I guess is the word. And then like really good set design, really good costumes. Like that is Tenet. I just described Tenet. I haven't watched Mad Max Fury Road since it came out. I don't know anybody else who's like just like, I don't know, riding the wave for Mad Max Fury Road, watching it once every couple of months. What a lovely day. Remember that? <laughs> I mean, the most people can talk about that movie is Charlie Theron is cool. She kicks ass. And the guy that's like playing a guitar that has flames coming out of it. Like if those are the, the guitar guy on the, if those are the most popular things from your movie, then I don't know. One of those is not quite like the other. So I don't think it balances up to equaling good. Uh, I'm looking at other nominations here. Were you aware that there was a Pinocchio movie? That caught my eye and I was very confused by it. I was like, what are we talking about here? Was that a mistake? So I saw it's makeup and hair and costume. And like, I get it. Like sometimes there's just a weird movie where there's like wild hair and wild costumes and wild makeup. So I'll probably end up watching Pinocchio. Does that mean it wasn't puppet? I am. Does that mean it was like a live action type of thing? Uh, I guess. Yeah. Wait, hang on. I'm getting Pinocchio 2021 film. Uh, Uh, I think it's 20. I think it was 2019, and I think it was Italian, and it got ported over to America oh. via a giant whale bringing it in its stomach across the sea. This movie might not be out yet, but there is a Pinocchio coming out this year directed by Guillermo del Toro, so that should be interesting. I, I'm so confused Gosh, I wonder right if now. it's the same one. It would be really weird if he did one. There was one that came out in, yeah, you're right, December 25th. It came oh, out. It was Italian. Week. <laughs> um, looking at the pictures oh no the, the pictures of this of this movie are all booty had me like memes <laughs> <laughs> oh no this is pretty tough i'm glad it got nominated though because uh, I, I, I want this to be i don't think it's the academy Guillermo del toro one it's definitely not oh man that's hilarious well it looks like the Polar Express animation, which, speaking of, are we shocked that we didn't get a little bit more Tom Hanks love from the Academy? I thought for sure he would have popped up for News of the World, either that film being nominated, because I think that's like a like the Ford versus Ferrari dad film of the year, and maybe snuck in for Best Actor, because I think the Academy just loves Tom Hanks and would want him as a part of their award show. Yeah. I did have a note on that, which was, um, so it's nominated for all the technical stuff. So score best sound cinematography and production design or set. And I'm wondering if it like got a Tom Hanks bump where it was nominated for those because people like Tom Hanks so much that like they're willing, but it didn't get nominated for like 
uh, a screenplay or an actor or director. Uh, it's just weird. And I also like that was on a bunch of watch lists um, for Oscars going into today, I guess, or before Golden Globes. But I think that I had that like my top four for like things that it was on the watch list for. And it just, I, I haven't seen it. And it, uh, I think goes to dig or what goes to physical release in about a week, which means it'll be available to, uh, rent, I believe digitally. But, uh, I was slightly surprised that it was only nominated for those four categories and maybe others. I don't care about all the categories, but definitely those four are not like, I don't think what they were probably aiming for when they make a epic and put Tom Hanks in it. Like he didn't get COVID for this. I think the like initial like inclusion on watch list is because it's it's Tom Hanks and he's driving this carriage. This is an old western directed by Paul Greengrass. Like sign me up. This is going to blow people away and I, I don't think it blew as many people away as originally thought and you're I'm thinking you're right is that the other technical aspects like production design and cinematography are like as a, a nod of respect to the work that they did not necessarily a uh, he hanks for the memories <laughs> um, let me see here I think that's all I got on the Oscars now it's just a matter of waiting to see and catching up on the movies that I haven't watched yet. Um, I'm very excited to get to that. We can ramp up the coverage. Uh, we have a few extra yeah, minutes. Okay, Should let's we... go. Fine, fine. Ah, Twist my yes. arm. Let's go. All right. We're talking about the positive reviews for the Snyder Cut, uh, the four-hour adaption by Zack Snyder. Not adaption's a bad word. Uh, the I guess the artistic original of Zack Snyder and what he wanted to do with 2017's Justice League, the um, the critical analysis and reviews were allowed to drop today. Uh, they were taking off embargo this morning, and they're pretty good. The consensus uh, take we don't really care all that much about rotten tomatoes but so far it is rocking i believe a 76 percent rt score which is in the it's worst movie in the world i do want to remind people that 2019's joker uh which got some awards considerations for uh Best score, which it won for, and Joaquin Phoenix won for Best Actor. That one clocks in at a Rotten Tomato score of 68%. So to me, that uh, at least. You need one more percent. <laughs> to me, that at least indicates that this movie is watchable. Um, the main complaint I've seen is that this is four hours long and it's only four hours long for like the really big DC heads out there. Like there's no other reason for it to be this long and I need an intermission, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited because I think that if it, if the audience score is even higher then that means that like 
what I've wanted, which is Gal Gadot to keep going as Wonder Woman and uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman, et cetera, that this universe can still exist in some form. Yeah, I do think that the Rotten Tomatoes score is an interesting metric. I think that the audience score is going to be higher just and the I think the critic score is probably going to be higher. It's kind of a self-selecting population like not everyone is going to go and revisit this. Uh I think like whatever Vulture and AV and Ringer are all going to go review it and do their entrance and exit surveys. But the people like the general populace who are going to go and watch this movie are like you and increasingly me. Uh, and we're just interested to see what the differences are and if it's better. And if people have it rated better than the 2017 version, which has a sterling 40% on the tomato meter, I think that that's a pretty positive sign that it has quite nearly doubled that. Yeah, at best, this endeavor kind of just gets to reset the DC watermark I guess, to continue making these movies. And at worst, it's just, I don't know, uh, an, another experiment by a big streamer that kind of was not worth the hassle. But I think, you know, this this could end up being worth it for DC. Uh, CNN, I saw one of their critics had an article that was basically saying this is kind of a win for like artistic integrity and allowing somebody to, like kind of finish what they started and how if they're allowed to implement their full vision rather than just being like a a la carte of what studio execs want and bringing other points of view in from a director that wasn't picked specifically by the person who started this project um, to complete it then I, I think that's it definitely is a win. Uh, and I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, if for no other reason, that artistic integrity thing is cool. Like just him being able to go back to this project that he had to leave, that he like physically could not continue and to continue it and put out the vision that he, or at least a large portion of the vision that he initially had for this film with that, that insane budget is like pretty cool. So Good on WB for letting him do it. Good on Zack Snyder for not taking a check to do it. Uh, that's also pretty cool. So I'm, is that out this Friday? Yeah, it'll be available on, I think on Thursday night. It might be like a Thursday drop at midnight type of thing, but they might be getting an early jump on the weekend. So that could be nice. I'm excited to watch it. I'll definitely crush it and just see how it stacks up against the original, which by, by every review I've seen, whether they've liked it or not, they're just like, this movie is just better. It's, it's a more complete version and it's not so like fragmented as the Joss Whedon version. So um, something to look forward to. Yeah. uh, I, we're going to do, we're going to do winners and losers. Uh, It seems like Joss Whedon's going to be kind of a loser here. uh, If, if Zack Snyder just, swoops in and does his thing and just releases this awesome movie or even just a good movie because like oh gee justice league as you might be able to tell from my general tone of voice and demeanor the way that i'm talking about it is not 
um, in my top uh, 75% of superhero movies, which is bonkers because it really should be. Yeah, Chas Whedon might not work in movies for various other reasons that don't relate to butchering the 2017 version of this, but I think the biggest L for like the Snyder cut versus the original cut is basically that Zack Snyder's A, done it better according to critics so far, and B, did a much better job at what Joss Whedon was like reportedly brought in to do, and that's to bring in more like lighthearted moments and things Mm -hmm. that more like Avengers style like he did for that movie. Uh, But that movie was largely centered around Ben Affleck's Batman and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman and whatever was going on there. But Zack Snyder took more care with the characters, like all of them, rather than just focusing the story around two. So I think that's what made critics more more accepting of this version because they're like, we got, we got to see what, what they want to do with these characters. They're much more likable when you actually get moments with them and they're actually taken care of. And that's a, that's a major L for Joss Whedon because he's supposed to be the person that gives, uh, was supposed to give these characters like a soul for the audience to grab onto. Anyway. Yeah, not great. And I think it undercuts his entire, like, I don't know. There's like, obviously there's a ton of allegations and accusations against Joss Whedon. And like, if he is making good art, then he could do this Woody Allen thing where everyone hates him, but like everyone acknowledges that the art is good. But like, I don't know if the movie sucks and he sucks. You're right. He's not going to work for a while. If ever. Stay tuned for our four hour long podcast about the Snyder cut. Extremely hot take. <laughs> and be an in-depth analysis of all the slow motion action shots from Zack Snyder. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can find me at Raj underscore Podge on Twitter for some extraordinarily hot takes. And if you are in the mood to do some more following, I recommend you boot up that podcast app and tap the subscribe button for the Wisconsin Homestead podcast hosted by our pals, AJ and Hannah, as well as the This Week on Earth podcast hosted by our buds, David and Jack. And thanks for listening.